It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 10. Uh, over the last several uh, weeks, we've been walking through like this little mini-series <clears throat> on the I Am statements of uh, Jesus in the book of John. And it's interesting as we've been, we've been in this, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've just been personally edified, impressed by the reality of who Jesus is. Now again, in the book of John, seven times, Jesus makes a statement where he says, I am, and then correlates it with something. So he says, I am a whole bunch of times in the, uh, in the book, but there are seven times where he distinguishes something and says, that's who I am. And we've looked at two of them already. Uh, one of them being, I am the bread of life, obviously speaking of the manna, and then I am the light that we looked at last time, uh, which is just a phenomenal reality. And if I may remind you, uh, what's inter- interesting about the grammatical structure in the Greek is that the I am is in the present tense, which means in the Greek, this isn't like, well, he was at one point, but he's no longer. This is as long as he is in the present tense, as long as you are in the present tense. This is true. So it's not that Jesus is wishy-washy and once upon a time he was bread, but now he's still moldy something, right? It's not that he was light and now he's getting shadowy. There's none of that in the passage. The idea is who he is is who he always is. Or as Hebrews says, Jesus is unchanging. He was, he is, he forever will be. He doesn't change. So this idea that Jesus is in the present tense, actually I think is just a phenomenal thought in light of these I am statements. So when you say that I am the light, or he is the light, you realize that we're saying that he forever will be light. When he says, I am the bread, and we go, whoa, yes, you are the bread. What he's declaring is that he forever will be the bread. Which I think is really neat. Now we're looking at the next one, which is in John chapter 10. In fact, uh, this week and next week, uh, we're actually going to be blurring the, t- the next two I am statements. Uh, which is, I am the gate and I am the shepherd. <clears throat> uh, just for the sake of context, if you flip back a page to John chapter 9, <clears throat> you remember from last week, if you were here, that we were looking at this idea that Jesus says, hey, I, I am the light. <clears throat> and he's, here he's speaking to a, uh, a blind man, remember, and he, and he, takes, the, he takes the mud, puts it on the blind, man, blind man's eyes, says, hey, go down and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he goes down there and does that. He comes back, he's healed, the Pharisees get all ticked off because he's done healing on the Sabbath. And he's talking to the blind man saying, hey, uh, why, why are you healed and how are you healed and who healed you? And, and of course, he's just answering the best he knows how. And <clears throat> he gets to the end of chapter 9, and it's interesting, in verse 35, Jesus shows up and begins to talk to the man. And <clears throat> at the end of chapter 9, Jesus basically says, hey, here you are, you were blind, but now you see. And there were some Pharisees who were sticking around there, uh, verse 40, and uh, because of Jesus' statement in verse 39 where he says, hey, I've come to help the seen, sorry, I've helped the blind to see, and those who are seen are blind. And the Pharisees are listening, and they go, hey, are you telling us that we are also blind? Now listen to Jesus' conclusion, verse 41. He says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. And you're like, that's confusing. Obviously, they thought so too. <laughs> and Jesus starts telling a parable 
John chapter 10, verse 1. So you need to see the flow of, of where we're heading with this whole passage with I am the gate. So it's coming out of the fact that Jesus just healed this blind man. He says, I am the light, which again that we looked at last time. And in the midst of this pronouncement that, hey, I am the light, the Pharisees are listening and they say, are you saying that we're actually blind? And Jesus says, let me, let me tell you a story. Chapter 10, verse 1, look at this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, <clears throat> and he leads them out. When he, brings, sorry, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he was telling them. <laughs> Poor guys. <laughs> so here's Jesus. <clears throat> and he goes, hey, uh, let me tell you a story. You know that there's these sheep in a she sheep pen. And you know that if, if someone tries to get the sheep any other way than through the door, as the shepherd, they're a thief and a robber. Uh, it's interesting. He's obviously speaking in their language, in their cultural language. And he's referring in a passage to a lot of towns would have these sheep pens built off the side of a building. And they'd be built pretty high, and they'd be enclosed, typically fully, and they would have a door. And the, whoever owned the building would rent out these little sheep pens. And it makes sense, you know, a sheep person who's been out in the fields all day long for weeks on end, potentially, uh, they're exhausted, uh, they want to bring their sheep in, and they want to have a night off, and so they, they need to put their sheep somewhere. And so the idea was is that they would take the sheep and put them in these little pens, and they would shut the door, they would lock the door, right? And then they could go and relax and do their thing and have a nice dinner and sleep on a real bed and... And the next morning, they would come and get their sheep. And there would be a watchman at the door, you know, taking the money of the shepherd and then protecting the sheep while he's doing his thing. So Jesus says, hey, do you know who I am? Hey, I am the true shepherd. That here are my sheep. They're in this little fold. And as a good shepherd, I go and I say, hey, sheep, let's go. Now, in this culture, sheep, I think this is so cool. I've never been a shepherd, so this is what I've been told. But sheep know the voice of the shepherd so well that sheep, say, say they're going to the well, you could intermingle a whole bunch of different groups of sheep, and you're like, oh, no, which one's mine? You don't have to paint the backs. Well, I think that would be a nice way to solve the issue. All the blue ones are mine, right, or whatever. But that's not how they do it. All the sheep are intermingled, and all the shepherd has to do is start walking off and give the little guttural sound thing, and the sheep go, oh, that's my shepherd, and begins to follow and they will literally separate themselves. Isn't that amazing? So here's Jesus talking about the right shepherd, the good shepherd. In fact, next week we're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he's beginning to hint at that even in our passage here. But he says, look, the good shepherd is the one who goes to get the sheep and just calls on them, and he knows them by name, and they know his voice, which obviously means the sheep has spent enough time with the shepherd that they know his voice. And they just begin to follow him. And again, even that whole idea of the, the lock in the door thing is found in verse 3. Uh, to him, the shepherd, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. Right? So again, it's this idea of the enclosure thing. <clears throat> and he says, do you know what happens? Anybody who tries to get the sheep other than the true shepherd going in by the door is a thief and a robber. 
Now, here's the whole implication. You realize that a thief and a robber are not there just to kill the sheep, right? They're not just, likely they're not just going to eat the sheep. The idea is that they're probably going to sell the sheep to make some money or they're going to sell the wool to make some money. Either way, they're using the sheep for their own purposes and their own plans and, and, their, uh, and their own advantage and their own gain. And the, and the idea as you, as you get into the passage is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, Pharisees, you know what you are doing? You are setting yourself up as shepherds of God's people. But what you are doing is you are jumping in and you are using the sheep for your own advantage. You, oh dear Pharisees, are using the sheep for your own gain. That's not how a shepherd behaves. You're blind. The true shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The true shepherd gives himself for the sheep. The true shepherd spends time with the sheep for the edification of the sheep. Do you know how many times in scripture the idea of God being a shepherd and his people being a sheep is found? It's all over the place. That God is the true shepherd. In fact, let me just give you a few verses just so it's fresh on your mind. Uh, Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17. It says, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all the flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. Second uh, Samuel 24, 17. David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people. And he says, Behold, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Again, there's this, there's this undercurrent of just, Your people, O oh God, are the sheep of your pasture. Uh, you know Psalm 23 well, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He is a shepherd, which we're going to look at in a few weeks. Uh, Psalm 77, verse 20. It <clears throat> says, You led your people like a flock. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. What did God do? He treated his people like sheep. Uh, Psalm 78, 52. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 79, 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever from generation to generation. We will recount your praise. Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And again, over and over and over again, you just get this undercurrent of, hey, God, you are the great shepherd. Hey, we are the sheep of your pasture. And again, I find it very interesting that God consistently calls us sheep. Because <laughs> it, it is not exalting at all. It is like, pick the worst animal to choose, and it's like, you're like that, right? And I think I've said this before, but there are no wild flocks of sheep anywhere in the world. Sheep, as far as I know, is the only animal that demands a shepherd. You can have wild horses. You even have wild squirrels. We have wild rabbits. We, you never see wild sheep. Why? Sheep don't survive. Sheep demand a shepherd. I think that's a phenomenal thought, isn't it? Now, goats, goats can go off on their own. Goats are stubborn. They can do whatever they want. Sheep are dumb. Sheep need someone to lead them to pasture. Sheep need someone to give them water. Sheep need someone to protect them. She we are sheep. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful, 
What a wonderful encouragement in my life. Yes, you picked the dumbest animal, and that's what I am. But that's true, isn't it? That we are not made to live on our own. We're not made to live at our own resource. We're not made to. We're, we, are made, we are made to have a shepherd. That you and I were not designed just to live on our own, in our own resource, in our own wisdom, in our own power, in our own strength. We were made to live in dependence upon the strength of the king. We're sheep. We're not just to go out wild on our own. Because the moment we try to do this thing on our own, we find ourselves eaten by wolves. Which is what most of the church is living in, isn't it? So the fact that you and I were made to have a shepherd is actually a great thing. This is phenomenal, actually. And Jesus says, you know who I am? We're going to look at this next week. But partway through John chapter 10, he says, I am that shepherd. Hey, I am the one that's going to shepherd you. I'm the one who's going to lead you into the pastures. Hey, I'm the one who's going to guard and protect you. So isn't it interesting that, he, again, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, oh, dear Pharisees, uh, yes, you are blind. And let me, let me, in fact, let me tell you what you're doing. He goes, a good shepherd would actually lay down his life for the sheep. A good shepherd would give himself for the sake of the sheep. A good shepherd is not going to do what you're doing. And you are trying to shepherd my people, but rather than actually shepherd my people, you're taking advantage of them. You're plundering them. You're using them. Hey, you, hey, this is for your own advantage, and this is for your own gain. And, and how do the Pharisees live? That, they were using the people of Israel. That, they, that hey, they were living in the, the nice houses, and, and they were having all the, the money, and they were living, they're, they're, they're taking advantage. And Jesus says, hey, that is not how a shepherd lives. Now, again, in verse 6, it says they just did not understand the story, <laughs> which is pretty sad. So Jesus says, all right. Let me give you another one. Look at verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and and that they may have it more abundantly isn't it interesting jesus tells one story and he says oh there's this sheep pen and uh, and again likely what he's talking about is the sheep pen that's leaning against the building you know built off this building and there's this watchman and he's opening the gate and letting the sheep in and the shepherd can have some rest and jesus says all right you didn't get that one let me give you another story and he's using the imagery of being out in the fields with the sheep again at night <clears throat> you don't want your sheep running around wild because one there's wild beasts and two you're going to lose all your sheep by morning so you need to fence them in and so what the shepherds would do is they would build these little enclosures they'd either find a cave or 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 a lot of times they didn't have a cave they would grab the rocks and they begin to build these walls and so that the walls would be high enough so the sheep can't jump over them and a lot of times they'd take um the thorny bushes and put those on the top to kind of scare away the robbers and then there would just be this opening in the wall and so at night the, the sheep would come in and the shepherd himself would stand or lie in that little doorway. And the shepherd would become the door. So in the first story, right, Jesus is not saying that I'm the door. He's just talking about the sheepfold thing and that, hey, if you try to get in and take the sheep for your own advantage, hey, that's not a shepherd. But they miss that idea. Jesus says, all right, let me tell you what I am. I am actually the gate. So out, out in the wilderness, you know, here are these, here are these pins. And Jesus says, you know what I am? I'm the one who lies in front of the gate. I I am the one who actually protects my sheep. 
Hey, I'm the one who determines what comes in, what comes out. Does that make sense? So he's given a whole other picture. And he uses the I am statement here, and he says, you know what I am? I am that gate. I am that door. That there's not an actual literal door. I am, I am it. And he's using, again, shepherding language. So again, if a sheep is in the pen and they want to get out in the middle of the night, they're going to have to bump against the shepherd. The shepherd's going to be like, no, 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 little sheep. Get back in the, in the pen. Right? If a wolf tries to get in, right, he's going to be like, no, 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 little wolf. I'm keeping you out. Probably an exaggeration. That's probably not how he said it. But, right? In other words, he is the protection for the sheep, and he's also the threat against all the other things trying to get the sheep. Now, in light of all that, what I would like to do is I want to give you a couple implications or applications that if Jesus is in fact the gate, which he says he is, what does that practically mean for the sheep? In reality, what does it actually mean for our life? So, number one, if Jesus is the gate, it means that he is the sheep's security. He's the protection. Again, the gate was the only protection or the only avenue to get to the sheep. In other words, a, a wolf can't climb rocks, right? And typically there's, again, the thorny bushes at the top, which would scare away the animals and the, and the robbers. And so the only way to access a sheep is you have to get through the gate. You have to get through the shepherd. Jesus says, I am that. Which means, do you recognize you can trust him? That if you are in Christ and he is your gate, you realize that the only thing that can access, get through him, is that which he wants to get through him. In other words, not, it, it, he's not a pushover. He's not like, well, I might be able to stop one wolf, but if there's three wolves, I can't do that. No, he is impregnable. He is valiant. He is strong. Which means I can actually rest. That if I actually know my shepherd, the fact that my shepherd is the gate, as a sheep inside the pen, I can, actually, I can actually be calm. I don't have to fear. I can have security. I can just, oh, I can, I can take a nap, right, in the sheep pen. Why? Because I know who my gate is. Do you realize that's true in our lives? That if you don't recognize that Jesus is your gate, then you try to control your circumstance. You try to control the things around you, which means you're actually not trusting your shepherd. If he is your gate, you can actually live with peace. You can actually live with rest. You can actually live with hope. Why? Because he's standing guard in my life. That if I'm in him, I, I have protection. I have security. That's awesome! Everyone awake this morning? Uh, not only is it the sheep's security, but if he's the gate, you realize that he becomes the sheep's salvation. There's an interesting passage if you look at verse 9. Again, he repeats that statement, I am the gate, or I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, I am the gate? And the gate itself is the one bringing life. It's bringing salvation. And I think it has something to do with the fact that you're where he's at. That you're smack dab in the middle of where he is. But here's what's really interesting. You realize it says that you will be saved and you will go in and out and find pasture. It's interesting, the gate is all about timing. See, at night, you want to be in the pen, 
right? You want to have the security, you want to have the safety, you want to have the protection from all the wild bees. But all day long, you, want, you don't want to be in a pen. That's dumb. Why? You're never going to eat. And we need to eat. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so what does a sheep need to do? It needs to go out of the gate and into the fields and find pasture. So isn't it interesting? In the evening, you need to go through the gate to find your rest and your security and your comfort and, and the tranquility of all that kind of stuff. But in the morning, you need to go out and find the joy of nourishment and the satisfaction and the pleasure of just frolicking in the fields. I'm presuming that's what sheep do, right? They frolic. Again, I've never been a shepherd. But I presume when they're jumping around, skipping and buying, right, they're, they're, they're frolicking. That's, that's at least the word I'm going to go with, you know. <laughs> so isn't it interesting? This isn't stay in the pen, be miserable, grit your teeth, and eventually you'll make it to heaven. Ugh. There's none of that in the passage. This is, hey, you have a gate. And the gate is there to protect you, yes. But the gate is also there to lead you out to find pasture. So there is a comfort and a safety and a security with the gate, but there's also the joy and the fulfillment and the satisfaction of nourishment going through the gate. In other words, it's bringing life to you. It's protecting you and it's giving you nourishment. But it's all about timing. See, you don't want to be out in the fields at nighttime and you don't want to be in the pen during the daytime. Because if you're out in the fields at, at nighttime, you're going to be eating. If you're in the pen during the daytime, you won't eat. So it's all about timing. Well, how am I, I going to know the timing? The gate knows the timing. So trust the gate. And in the gate, you find life. In the gate, you actually find the joy. In the gate, you actually find the safety and the security and the nourishment that your life needs. You actually find salvation. You actually find life within the gate. That's a great insight. Uh, number three, so, so again, it's not just the sheep's security. It's not just the sheep's salvation. Number three I'm calling it the sheep's solace. You see the alliteration going on. It's all about the compassion, though. It's interesting that the shepherd in the ancient times would stand at that gate when the sheep were coming in, into, the, into the fold, you know, into the pen. And as the sheep were coming into the pen, he would be analyzing every single sheep and make sure that they were healthy. That if they had a little barb on their nose, you know, from digging or, you know, running into something, right, he'd pluck the thing off. If there was a parasite on the arm, he'd pull off the parasite. If one was kind of limping, right, he would, he would tend, to the, tend to the wound. Why? Because you recognize you want healthy sheep as a shepherd. And if they're going to go into the pen and they're going to rest, right, you need to make sure that they're actually healthy. That what the gate is actually doing, the shepherd at the gate, is bringing a compassion and a solace to the sheep. In fact, it's really neat. We're going to look at this in a couple weeks. But in Psalm 23, where it says, you know, speaking about the Lord as my shepherd, that he anoints my head with oil. That whole idea is coming from this picture where here's the shepherd at the gate, and as the sheep is coming in, he sees a little scratch on the head of the sheep. So what does he do? He puts oil upon the head of the sheep, and it helps purify, and it helps sanitize, and it helps bring healing quicker. So there's this idea that the shepherd is diligent in watching the sheep, the care of the sheep. So it's all about, again, it all comes back to this idea of the gate. That as the shepherd is, or as the sheep are coming in through the gate, the shepherd is being diligent, and the sheep at the gate are finding their solace and the compassion and the mending of the brokenness that they need. And don't you need that? Don't, don't you need a shepherd to look at you as you're at the gate and just say, you, you see that wound? Let me deal with that wound. See that hurt? Let me deal with that hurt. See that pain? Let me deal with that pain. Now, it doesn't mean that the situation goes away. 
you do understand that. But wouldn't it be neat to have the oil of him just be dumped upon, upon yourself and you're finding solace in the midst of the suffering? That, that you're finding healing in the midst of the hurt? That, that somehow in the, in the realities of, of your life situation, you have a shepherd who is actually compassionate for you. It's not that he just, all right, get in the, sh- get in the sheet fold. He's actually, you have a shepherd who's compassionate. And that's all imagery associated with the gate. So again, at the gate, I find security. At the gate, I, I, have, I find this salvation idea, this life. At the gate, I find this solace, the comfort to, to my every needs and hurt. Number four is this idea of the sheep's separation. Isn't it interesting that a gate separates? It causes division. It separates that which is within from that which is without. And Jesus says, you know what I do? I do that. I cause division. Which we don't usually like to talk about. But Jesus does cause division. All right, let me prove this to you. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 43. Jesus talking, and it says, So there was a division among the people over him. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Well, that's just normal. It's John 9, 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. Do you know what Jesus does? He brings division. None of you are excited. Uh, John 10, 19. It says, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Luke 12. Jesus says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather division. <laughs> Jesus, you know what I've come for? I'm causing division. Yeah, I'm a gate. I'm separating that which is in versus that which is without. He says, I'm bringing division. Uh, the Luke passage goes on and says, From now on, in, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus, you know what I'm doing? I'm forcing a decision. I'm forcing a division. Uh, Luke 14, 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Do you know what Jesus does? He specializes in division. Now, for clarity's sake, he specializes in unity. Right? I mean, in the New Testament, it's interesting that what Paul consistently talks about is, hey, that there's this unifying. In Christ, we are unified as the church. That there, is, there should be no division within the body. And yet, what Christ is saying about division is not in the body. For clarity, right? He's not saying this hand is against this hand. Oh, no. Right? It's not that this church should be against this church, part of the body. Right? There should be no division in the church. There should be, in fact, the world should know us because of our love one for another. That the division is not in the body. But you recognize that if it's a body, there, there is a division for that which is outside the body. Uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, you know, we're great missionaries. And Jim Elliot once said, he goes, God, I, I want to be a decision man. I, I want to be, be that man that forces a crossroads in people's lives. That when someone encounters my life, they're literally forced to make a decision. Are you going to be all in for Jesus or are you not? He says, I want my life to cause division. 
I, I want my life to really put pressure upon the world around me that just says, are you in or are you out? But I, don't, I don't want people just to be neutral when they spend time with me. What, what I want them is to be so pressed by the Spirit of God that, that they're literally having to decide, do I actually want what Jim Elliott has or am I going to silence that voice? By the way, that is actually what the word martyr even means. Martyr biblically means witness. And it's not just someone who dies for their faith, though that often happened. The idea was is that I'm willing to, <clears throat> willing to stand for something to such a degree and put pressure to such a degree that's going to force a decision. And either the people who are listening is either going to buy in and embrace it or they have to silence that voice. So what are they going to do? Well, they're likely going to shut you down and probably kill you. That, that, that's the idea of a martyr. Jim Elliott says, that's what I am. I'm a decision man. I'm forcing decision in people's lives. Do what Jesus says? That's what I'm doing. That I'm causing division. It's not that he's like, rah, 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 division. It's just that he goes, I can't help that. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Make a decision. Are you in? Are you out? And hey, this happened all the time, right? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, oh, I want to follow you. Woo, come on, follow. I want to follow. And you know, hey, if a man with a million dollars came into our church and says, hey, I want in, you go, Yes, yes, by all means, come on in. <laughs> Make sure you tithe, but come on in, right? Jesus says, hey, let me tell you what. You can come in, but you're going to have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. <clears throat> Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Yeah, but you know, I have, I have a lot of money. Jesus goes, that's your problem. You are holding to your money for salvation. That's not going to save you. I'm salvation. So make a decision. And it says that the man walked away sad because he's a man of great wealth. Isn't it interesting that Jesus just let him walk? If I was there, I would have ran after the man and said, stop, stop, stop. Just give half. Could you give a quarter? I mean, I mean, I mean just let's, let's dumb this thing down. Why? Because I want the money. Come on, we want you in. Jesus says that's not how it works. It's all or nothing. So isn't it interesting that as the gate, he is causing separation? It's actually a good separation. Are you going to be in the fold or are you not going to be in the fold? Hey, hey what, what's your decision? Which comes into number five, which I'm calling this sheep's selection, which means there has to be a decision. As a sheep, you are a sheep. You don't get a choice on that. But as a sheep, where are you going to live? Are you going to be in the fold? Are you going to be out of the fold? Are you going to follow Christ? You're just going to do your own thing. You, you realize you cannot be halfway in the fold and halfway out of the fold because there's a gate. You cannot straddle the gate. You're a sheep. Sheep cannot straddle. I've never seen a sheep straddle. They roll, right? So they will roll one way or the other. So, hey, make a decision. And that's actually, not a, that's actually good for us. Do you, you recognize that? We need the pressure in our life to make a decision. Are you going to be in or are you not? Jesus, I'm bringing separation. Now, in the fold, there better not be any division. In the fold, hey, there, there better not be, why? Because we are one fold, we are one body. And yet we're members of all you know, different members of the body, so there should be no division in the body, but there is a division of in the body, out of the body. Make sense? Jesus, I am the gate. Isn't it awesome that he wants to be your security? That he wants to be your protection? That you can actually rest in him. You can actually have peace in him because the gate is your peace. He is your peace. That you can actually rest at night you can actually take a nap because your mind's not going crazy all day long. And when you actually lay down to rest, your mind can actually stop and you can rest. 
we were having an argument yesterday in the campus staff whether that's even possible. And the girls are like, no, and the guys are like, yes. And we realize that guys are brain dead, so maybe it's easier for guys <laughs> to turn off their minds. Either way, do you realize that you could actually let Jesus be your rest and your hope and your calm? Why? He's your gate. And you realize that if you're in the sheep pen and you're all stressed out and you're all worried and you're, you're freaking out, you realize it's because you don't trust the gate. You realize that if he is the gate, you can, you can have life. Because you don't just get the safety and the security at night. You actually are let into the fields to find nourishment and joy and frolicking. Which is good. It's not even just all that, but you get to have the solace, the compassion of the shepherd upon you at the gate. I don't know about you, but I look at all this stuff going, that's what I need. I, I need Jesus to be my gate. And as a little sheep, I, I am not made to live on my own. As a little sheep, I am not made just to try to figure this life thing out on my own. I am meant to have a shepherd who will lead and guide me. By the way, do you know what we call people who live like this? Yeah, you guys are starting to get this. I think we'd have to call those people Christians, wouldn't we? The ones who are actually following a shepherd. And isn't it neat, by the way, that it's only the sheep at the shepherd's ankle that doesn't have to fear the wolves and the bears and the lions. That, hey, if you are anywhere else but the shepherd's ankle, there is reason to fear. But hey, when you're smack dab at the shepherd's ankle, there is no reason to fear the wolf pack. Because you have a shepherd. In fact, that is the only place you can be where you can mock the wolves. Sheep are not allowed to mock wolves. You'll never see a sheep walk up to a wolf and go, na 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 right? sheep don't, Sheep don't do that. Because they're going to be eaten. But if they're standing on a shepherd's ankle, you realize they can actually taunt the wolf pack. Because the wolf pack can't do anything to them. Not because of the strength or the wisdom of the sheep, but because of the power of the shepherd. We need a shepherd. We need a gate. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you that not only are you the great shepherd, but you are the gate itself. You are the one lying in the way. You're the one that not allows anything in to the sheep pen. You don't allow us out. That we can actually trust you, that we can rest, that we can find solace, that we can find peace in you. That in you is life itself. That salvation is found in you. That our hope and joy is found in you. Lord, don't let us wander on our own. Lord, I don't want to live by my own wisdom or my own talent or my own ability or my own resource or my own, my own anything. Lord, I need a shepherd. And so, Lord, I, I want to submit myself afresh under the authority, the shepherd's crook, your staff. Lord, I want, I want you to guide me. I want you to bring the comfort. I, I want you to lead me into the pastures. I want you to guard and protect me at night. God, I want you to be my peace. Lord, the times where I'm trying to control my life and I'm fretting and I'm worrying, I'm, I'm living in fear and anxiety and I just can't rest. And Lord, Lord, I, I want to, Lord, I want to see you as the gate and be able to rest in that reality. Lord, I want to look at my life situations and circumstances and whatever it is that I'm dealing with, Lord, I, I want to see that in light of you being my shepherd and my gate. Lord, but as I'm, as I'm walking in you, would you somehow look at 
the different aspects of my life, and if I have bruises or parasites or cuts or hurts on my life, whether physically or emotionally, God, would you, would you bring solace to our hearts, healing to our emotions? Lord, I'm just in awe on the fact that of all the animals of your kingdom, you called us sheep. But what a great picture of humanity. So Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you that you are our shepherd, that you are the great gate that provides security, salvation, solace, even separation. So Lord, force a decision within our life. Are we going to be all in or all out? Because sheep can't straddle. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory. We love you. Precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.